evening, family. My name is Baby Sandy. I am part of the family here at Christ Church Midrand, also part of a life group. So if you are not part of one, please get plugged in. Speak to David or Uncle Rafa there right at the back. Um, so I'll be doing the Bible reading for us tonight. Uh, the Bible reading is Romans 5, verse 1 to 5. I'll just give you a few minutes to get to that. Therefore... Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, church. It is a joy to be together and for me to bring you um, God's word. So please keep your Bibles open to that uh, passage. We're going to work our way um, through it, um, I often think preachers say things. Uh, sometimes it does become routine to say it's a joy and privilege to share God's word with you. But I just wanted to uh, perhaps have a reason. Um, I don't know if you can cast your eyes or your mind rather back to last year or 2021. Yes, last year. Um, last year is still 2019 in my head. Um, 2021, this time, uh, it was a struggle, isn't it? Uh, 2020, this time, was a struggle. Many of us were meeting on Zoom. Some of us were preaching to a screen. Uh, many churches were open, but with people uh, wearing masks. Isn't it a joy that we can come together, no masks, uh, and have that freedom uh, to sing praises to God? So that's why I say that it's a privilege uh, for me to share God's word, because we often take for granted that we can meet here and hear from God's word and for him to prepare us for um, this coming week. So I'm just going to launch into it and pray uh, as we prepare our hearts to uh, hear from God. Please bow your heads as I do it. Father, as um, we just sang right now, uh, we pray that we would build our lives, our everything upon this, your word, uh, because indeed it is a firm foundation I pray that as we hear the words of the Apostle Paul many years um, ago, um, uh, that they would have relevance to us uh, today. I pray that you would revive us as we go into this week um, to live for you and to witness for you. Uh, through Christ our Lord, we ask. Amen. Um, sometime uh, uh, last year, we started off a series in Romans, and so we're continuing that, um, uh, that series for the next three weeks. I'm going to be doing this week and next week. And then we have a guest preacher from Australia by the name of Andrew Main, who's going to take us uh, through the last uh, part of Romans chapter 5, and then he'll have a once-off uh, sermon uh, at the end of October. So that's the plan for um, October. And so we're starting off by looking at 
chapter 5 this evening, and the title for our series is A New Humanity. And the reason behind that is that as you walk across Romans, as you read uh, Romans, one of the things that you're going to see that the central theme of it is about God bringing together a new society. Uh, So a new group of people under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And he empowers these people in chapter 8 to uh, be agents of change in this broken world as they await the renewal of this world and the renewal of their bodies. Uh, So that's the summary of Romans as a whole, that God is bringing together uh, a new humanity under one king, a new humanity consisting of both Jews uh, at that stage and Gentiles. He brings them under this one family and empowers them by the Spirit to be agents of change in the world that they lived in um, as they weighed a a new world. Uh, So if you are a Christian, what does that mean for you? Uh, It means a couple of things. One is that God has done something in your life that is magnificent. He's made you a new creature. And not only that, he's brought you into his family. You belong to a new group of people. And not only that, you are empowered by the Spirit. And because you are empowered by the Spirit, you can change. Um, If I was preaching this evening, I'll say, take a look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, you can change. Um, But we're not there yet. Uh, Let's start off slowly, okay? We're going to get there. Um, You can change, uh, but not only can you change, but the way in which you look at the world around you uh, has to to change. Uh, So the way in which you relate to God has changed. The way in which you relate to others will also change. Uh, but also the way you relate to the world around you must change. So that's if you are a Christian. Maybe you are here this evening and somebody dragged you to church uh, and you are discovering the faith for yourself. You're not really sure where you stand with Jesus. Um, This can also be true of you, uh, and the invitation still stands uh, open, that God wants to relate to you in a new way. Uh, Not only that, he wants you to change. He wants the way you relate to other people to change, and he wants the way you relate to the world around you um, to change. And so that's the message of Romans as uh, Paul speaks to this group of people who are figuring out what it means to be Christian in the Greco-Roman world. With all the divisions uh, among the Jews who said, well, we are the people of God because we have the law, uh, we've been doing these things for generations. And then here comes this new group of people who are non-Jew, and Paul wants them to know that they have the same right to be called children of God, just as the Jews um, are. And they can have confidence to live the Christian life, just as the Jews can. And so the message of our passage This evening, verses 1 to 5, is basically about hope in difficult moments. Hope in difficult moments. Uh, Paul is trying to answer the question of what brings you and what gives you hope when times are tough. What gives you hope during moments of suffering? Um, One of the things I've come to, to realize as I read scripture is that every, most of scripture, in fact, is written in a context of suffering. Uh, Most of scripture is written in a context of God's people trying to figure out who they are in a world that is broken, 
in a world of suffering. Whether it's the exile or whether it is that in the Old Testament there's God's people who are taken away from their homes or in the New Testament as Christians are persecuted by the Roman Empire. Whatever the case may be, uh, the gospel and this Bible is written in times of suffering. And I think that gives me hope because as I look at my own life or as I look at adult life in Midrand 2022, it is a world that is filled with suffering, isn't it? It is a world uh, where we feel like, sometimes we feel like God has forgotten us, uh, that the Christian faith is irrelevant, uh, that God doesn't see what we are going through. Um, so it is quite good to hear that God knows it, but not only does he know it, he's a God who cares enough to do something about it. And God is doing something in our world to transform us. God is that kind of father who looks at us and says, I know that it's tough at the moment, but then he lifts our chin, wipes us, wipes out the tears of our face, and says, dead is here. Dead. Very often life gets terrifying, and we are like that little child, isn't it? And we want somebody, we want God to hold us and say, Dad is here. Don't worry about it. Dad is here. And very often that's all that we need to hear in times of difficulties. And that's what we're going to see as we walk our way through these scriptures. We're going to see in what way our Father in heaven is here. Listen to these words by David. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce his surname. Paulison. Um, he's a Christian counselor. And this is what he says about being in the hands of a loving God and a loving Father during moments of suffering. And as I read it and as I thought about real people who go through suffering and difficulty, I just thought to myself, man, this is so true, but it feels at the same time that it's naive. Uh, it's feel, it feels like one of those spiritual things, uh, those spiritual bandages we put over a broken bone. It doesn't really work. Uh, but if we are to immerse ourselves in what he's saying here, I think it is so true. And it is something that can get us through tough moments. He says that in the hands of a loving God, sorrow and suffering become the doorways into the greatest and most indestructible joys. Let me read that again. And this is what connected to what Paul is going to say in chapter 5, verse 2. In the hands of a loving God, Sorrow and suffering become the doorways into the greatest and most indestructible joys. It doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't make sense that you can both speak of joy and suffering in the same sentence. If you still have your Bible with you, uh, turn to chapter 5. Have a look at the second part of uh, verse 2. So verse 2, the second part. Paul has just explained um, something of the gospel, something of what happened to us. And he continues to say, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We're going to look at it um, later on. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Come on, Paul. Like, have you lived in a real world of suffering? It often feels like verses like this 
um, uh, just verses that are just spiritual, and that Paul doesn't really understand what it means to live in Midrand and face the threat of retrenchment. It doesn't look like Paul knows what it's like to have an abusive spouse or a rebellious teenager. He doesn't know what it's like to have your dad diagnosed of cancer. Paul has never experienced such. That's why he can speak lightly of suffering like this and speak about rejoicing. It's almost like you're dancing that you are suffering. Surely that doesn't make sense. Uh, It seems uh, at best naive and uh, insensitive. Uh, But what we're going to see as we look at these five short verses is this, um, that very often in life that the only way for us to stand our ground during suffering is by understanding that God chose to stand with us and for us. Let me say that again. Very often, the only way we can stand in, stand our ground in times of suffering is by remembering that God chose to stand with us and stand for us. So that's what we're going to see. Uh, two quick points. Number one, that God chose to stand with you and stand for you. Number two, that you ought to remember that during difficult moments uh, so that it will equip you uh, to stand, knowing that God stood with you. That's what we're going to see in this uh, few verses. Have a look at um, chapter 5, verse 1 to 2, as we look at our first point, that God chose to stand for you and stand with you. Listen to the words of uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 1 to 2. Therefore... Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Someone say stand. Stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And now if there's anything I remember Uh, from 2007, Bible College, fresh out of Rustenberg, is this words. Anytime you see a therefore, you need to ask yourself, what is the therefore, therefore? Okay, anytime you see the word therefore, it is a marker, especially as you read the letters, uh, it is indicating something, that the person who's writing has been saying something, and he wants you to look back at what he's been saying and apply it right now. So what has Paul been saying? What is the therefore, therefore? Well, Paul has been arguing and saying in the last four chapters, uh, he's been showing us that God has made a way, a new way for people to relate to him. Uh, God has made a new way uh, for people to relate to, to him, a new way for them to be brought into this community, this family. Uh, the short, simple word for that is the word gospel. Paul has been expounding what the gospel is. Uh, Paul has been dis- describing that the gospel is basically this idea that despite human rebellion, despite us behaving in destructive ways to one another, self-destructive ways, God has come down and has come to extend his hand to bring us back into his family. Despite us rejecting the lordship and the kingship of Jesus Christ, or rather of God, God has sent his son Jesus Christ to come restore us back to himself. That is the gospel. And this kind of rebellion that we have is seen in two different ways in chapters 1 to 4. On the one hand, you have the Gentiles, that is 
100% of us this evening, unless you have Jewish blood. Um, Gentiles were non-Jews, are non-Jews, and Gentiles didn't have the law, the Ten Commandments. Uh, They didn't have a list of things that told them what it looks like to relate to God and to love him. And they lived in their rebellion. They didn't have any any knowledge of that. But Paul says uh, that they had in themselves uh, God instilled in them and hardwired into them an understanding of what it means to please him or not uh, to please him. So that's one kind of rebellion. People who don't have the law, but God has instilled it in them, they know what is right and wrong. Whether or not you've read a law that says thou shalt not kill, you know that it's wrong to murder. Whether you have not read the, the law that says thou shalt not commit adultery, you know that it's wrong to take somebody's wife for yourself. Uh, so that's what Paul is saying. None Jews have rebelled. But the Jews themselves thought to themselves, wow, aren't we better than those guys? We have been given the law. We are the people of God, and we know what it is to obey. And Paul says, be humble, sit down. You have not obeyed as you ought to, although you know the law of God. The only thing that stands, uh, the the only thing that uh, is to your advantage is that you had that law. But you, like the Gentiles, have disobeyed. So these two kinds of rebellion, but God makes this way uh, to us as people, both Jew and Gentile, to bring us back to himself through the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus comes into our world, uh, a world of rebellion, and he lives a perfect life, a life of obedience to the Father, and he dies a death of a disobedient on the cross. Why is that? Why is that? Well, it's so that when God looks at you, a Christian, you have crossed the line of faith, he would be pleased with you. I don't know if what has happened in your week, this week, but you need to remember that, that God is pleased when he looks at you. Not because of anything you've done, but because of what the Lord Jesus has done. That God in the Lord Jesus Christ dealt with us, not in accordance with how we dealt with him. That he stood for us, even in moments when we didn't want to stand with him. That is the gospel, such that God looks at us and he is pleased. So if you are a Christian, that is you this evening. And Paul says, since this has happened, therefore since ye have been justified by faith, what happened? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because that has happened, because God has opened a new way for us to be in relationship with himself, we have peace through our Lord Jesus Christ. What is peace? Well, there's two kind of ways in which we can understand the concept of peace. The one is negative. So peace is the absence of hostility. Uh, think of that friend that you're beefing with. Uh, think of that friend that you... Things haven't been going well in your relationship And then finally, you have that difficult conversation, um, and then there's no peace anymore. You resolve things. So on the negative side, peace is the absence of conflict. Okay, there's no beef between the two parties. But it is not just peace when there's negative, when there's no fighting. It is only when you take that friend to go do the things that you used to do, to go to a movie or something. Perhaps it's a spouse. Um, You solve the relationship and the issue, 
But unless you guys behave in ways that you used to behave, there's no ultimate peace, isn't it? And I think that's the sense in which Paul is talking about peace in this passage. It is a positive peace. It is that we have a good relationship with God. It is that we can hang out with him and there is no beef. How is that possible? Have a look at um, what Paul says next. The basis of this peace. Through him we have also we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Somebody say stand. In through him we have also obtained access. How do we gain access to God? How do we gain access to a relationship with God? It's by faith. What is faith? Faith is simply believing in what God has done. Putting your confidence in what God has done. Standing in confidence in what God has done. I can see you guys are trying to sleep. Can we just stand uh, just for a moment? Just stand and think about what you're doing uh, right now. Paul says, through him, that is who? Through Jesus, we. Who are we? Well, those who believe, we have access. What is access that we can speak to God? We have confidence uh, that we are in good relationship with God. Is that any of our own doing? No. It is by believing in what God has done. And he says, we stand in this grace. Now, just think about this position of standing. Um, Why are you standing right now? You're standing because you have confidence that this ground will hold you. Amen. You may be seated. Um, Now, this confidence that we as Christians have is the confidence that God will hold me in the same way that this floor holds me. I'm standing right now in confidence. How can we have such a confidence? Very often we blow it, don't we? Very often we don't live up to the standards that God has placed for us. But we can stand by faith in what God has done. Amen. We can stand in confidence, not our own confidence that look at me and what I've done, but we can look to the past and see what God has done and in the present stand in this grace. Grace is that God did not give us what we deserve, that God freely gives us his love. God freely pours his love towards people who have been disobedient um, to him. Paul continues to say, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What does hope mean? Well, hope means to stand. Stand in grace in the present, trusting what God has done in the past, and trusting that he will continue to do it into the future. What confidence is Paul speaking about? We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, that God one day will reveal the best of himself And that that is what we look forward to. We're going to unpack it next week as we look into that hope uh, that Paul speaks about. But basically, Paul is saying we can stand. Stand secure in what God has done in the past and will continue to do in the future. But we can stand right here in the midst of our brokenness whenever we blow it to know that God loves us even when we blow it. Now, very often... That, that, that has to do with our salvation. And you may be asking yourself, what does that have to do with suffering? Two weeks ago, it was my birthday. Um, so 
talk to your parents, uh, send them a letter and say, Ki birthday amoruti. It's the pastor's birthday. We're going to give him a gift offering. Uh, I'm joking, right? If you're new, <laughs> you new to our church, we don't do that here. Um, but I planned out, not planned out, I'm not one who plans, right? Um, I took, I decided on that day, because people will ask you, what are you doing for your birthday? And I'm like, oh, got to do something to tell a story. Um, and then I took my two-year-old daughter on a date. It was the best of dates. The steak was horrible because uh, I asked for medium rare. They give me medium to well done, uh, which is death uh, and should not be uh, served in any way. It's not going to be in the new heaven and new earth. Um, but the company was great. I'm sitting across uh, this beautiful girl, uh, my daughter. It was the cutest thing ever. Of course, her being the cute part of the equation. Um, it was nice. Uh, and then we took a train ride uh, across the mall. Um, I was one of those parents. Um, it made That moment made the sleepless nights worth it. Um, but something happened that nearly destroyed this moment. Um, so I, I panic <laughs> every time I say it. After this event, I was shaking my feet. I was, I was very nervous um, as we sang happy birthday later on. So what happened is that she wanted to go to the bathroom, um, and then we get to the bathroom. She cries. I don't know why. She doesn't want to go in there. But I realized that her onesie was um, put the wrong way. So I'm like, let's go into the mother's feeding room, close the door, change there. Like as I close the door, it's one of those glass sealed doors that are airtight. Went, and I'm like, okay, that's, <laughs> that's okay. Uh, and as I tried to open it, this thing wasn't opening. And I thought to myself, maybe the key was um, the lock is still there, so I flip it, still is not opening, and I'm panicking. That time it's low shedding, so the ventilation, it's this small room, there's no ventilation, it's getting hot. I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to die here. <laughs> I'm going to die. Um, and worst of all, my battery is on 7%, so I'm trying to call the mall to say, help out. I'm stuck in this room. I'm getting hot. I'm trying to not panic because as I panic and the more I panic, I can see that she's panicking as well. So I keep my calm uh, by God's grace. Uh, but I think one of the most difficult thing of that moment, one was that nobody will see me. I'm going to perish in here. Uh, also, I just don't know how long this thing will last. I'm stuck in this room. Uh, people might just leave me here and I might spend the night here with their daughter. And I don't have enough strength to break that thing and not to panic. And so that was a terrifying moment. And it made me realize that as you are stuck in such situations, very often the thing that cripples you is that there is no hope. Uh, very often is that you don't know how long you're going to be in that situation. And that thing is terrifying. Very often it is terrifying to think that maybe God doesn't see me and nobody will see me in this situation. Uh, very often hope is crippled by the fact that no one will see you, no one is coming to rescue you, and you just don't know how long you'll be in that situation. And so the only way for us to stand in those moments is by remembering that God chose to stand for us, and he chose to stand 
with us. He chose to stand for us in the Lord Jesus. In Jesus, we know that God loves us. In Jesus, we know that our love for, or rather God's love for us, is not dependent on us. Uh, therefore, him being a faithful God, he'll continue to love us till the end. We can look to the future and know that he will love us till the end. And maybe your situation and your suffering, you just don't know how long it will be. But we can have this sure confidence that God is transforming our world and will one day bring an end to our sufferings. So it is in those moments we remember that God stood for us and stood with us and stands with us uh, that we can uh, stand in tough times. Have a look at uh, verse 3. This is our second point. So he just said, we rejoice in the hope of the glory, of God's glory. We rejoice in the fact that God will one day reveal the best of him when he comes. Not only that, verse 3, but we rejoice. And this is the naive or rather seemingly naive thing that Paul says. We rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. Uh, Paul says we can look back at what God has done and rejoice in that. And not only that, but also rejoice in our sufferings. Why is that? Because we know that as we await the glory, as we await for God to reveal the best of him, he's working in us uh, to transform us, to mold us, uh, to make us more endurant, to make us more resilient, to transform our character into the character of his son, Jesus uh, his son who was made perfect through suffering. Now, that's difficult to hear when you're going through a tough time, isn't it? That God is transforming you through those. Um, one commentator says, Paul shows how a godly response to suffering can initiate a series of virtues culminating strikingly in hope. Um, that when we suffer and when we respond to suffering, in a God-centered way, by looking to God who loves us in the midst of suffering, who holds our hand like that father and says, don't worry, that is here. It doesn't necessarily minimize our suffering because often that sounds like, just, just be happy, man. Uh, God is with you. No, <laughs> it is terrifying, but you have a God who can hold your hand during those terrifying moments. Amen. You have a God who loves you. You can hold your hand during those moments of suffering. The commentator goes on to say, note, however, that Paul is not saying that we should rejoice because of suffering. Suffering, evil things are still just that, evil, and we never should be happy about them. So we shouldn't be happy that we are suffering, but by looking beyond the suffering to its divine, divinely intended end, we still can rejoice in the midst of them. We don't dance because we are going through difficult moments. But in our difficult moments, we remember that we have a father who cares for us, who holds our hands uh, during the suffering. That is our hope. That is our only hope. Have a look at verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, this hope that God is working in us will not put us to shame. Um, the word, I think, I don't know if it's Tswana, because we don't have clicks in Tswana. 
But how many of you know the word popok? To disappoint like that, it's not going to be put to shame. You know, when you trust somebody, when you trust perhaps your dad and he puts you to shame, when he says he will show up to pick you up, okay, that's more like a suburban thing, isn't it? To be picked up from school. <laughs> when he says, I will send money for you to go on that trip, and he doesn't do it. Um, I still remember this sad scene in a movie uh, called Matwetwe. I wouldn't recommend that you watch that movie. Um, but it was a picture of an unreliable dad. And I think that's, it was a picture of many dads in our country. Matwetwe is this boy who was smart. He was into botany. And he got uh, acceptance into vets to study, um, to study botany. And so he calls his uh, dad who was absent for many years, who's got his own family, uh, typical South African story, sad scene as you see him excited and calling his dad, Papa, Papa, I've been accepted into university. Uh, I just need some cash for registration and to set me up for, uh, for my time at university. And as dad is speaking, he's, he sounds on the phone, but he's acting like a proud dad. And he's like, don't worry, don't worry. I'll sort you out. Just give me your banking details. And you see him on the other side of the phone, uh, him asking the, uh, the son for the banking details. Oh, it's upside. Okay, okay. He pretends like he's writing them down. Um, okay, so he mentions the, the numbers. Oh, okay. So he, he pretends like he recites the numbers to him, but we know, isn't it? He doesn't know that this dad will not come through for him. And very often that is our experience, isn't it? We live in a world where we are put to shame, where you trust somebody, but they put you to shame. Paul says that this God of us, when we have faith in him, he will not put us to shame. He will not put us to shame. And so we have faith in this God. We have hope that he will keep to his promises and love us to the very end, even in the midst of our suffering. As we kind of bring it to, to an end, I just wonder to think with us as to what the opposite of that is. What is the opposite of that? If you're facing suffering, what is the opposite of facing it with hope? Well, one author says the opposite of it is thinking that the suffering is personal, that it is permanent, permanent, or that it's pervasive, that it's personal, that the world is against me. Am I the only one going through this? Very often it feels like that, but we need to remember that we live in a world where suffering is real. Is it going to be permanent? Well, I can assure you that um, your moment of breakthrough is here or anything like that, but we can be assured that God will love us and love us to the very end. That one day, even if it's not in this life, he will transform our world of suffering. That as we go through life in this world, it will be filled with difficult moments. Uh, but those moments are not permanent. That it's pervasive. Um, pervasive just means that I'm going through this, and therefore my whole life doesn't make sense. It pervades into, uh, it finds its way into all of my life. Very often we think that way. That's my timer saying we're done in 35 minutes. Um, we are about to end it off. Amen.
Um, to think that suffering is personal, permanent, and pervasive. Well, if we, have, if we are people of hope, we know the place of suffering in our life, that we suffer because we live in a broken world, but we have a God who cares for us, who's going to bring this world to the end. That is why we are a new people who are being brought into this community, uh, who are awaiting a renewed world and the renewal of our bodies, that this suffering is not permanent, it is not pervasive, because God has put an end to this. Now, the other way in which we face suffering without hope is this idea that we grow up with, this idea of, of fear, that if we are going through difficult moments, opposite to what Paul is saying to us here, uh, the, that the gods or God is somehow not pleased with us. Um, that powerful phrase that we use um, as we're going through difficult moments in Back home, the, the ancestors have turned their back against you. Now that is powerful, isn't it? That suffering in the world that I grew up in proves that the divine, the ancestors don't love you. Or perhaps the more Christianized version of it is that God is somehow trying to teach you something of your sin, trying to purge sin away from your life, or that he's not pleased with you. You just need to have more faith. You just need to give some more to the church so that you will remove that suffering. It is this idea that God's face is not towards us. It is opposite of what Paul is saying. That's why he reminds us of salvation and then calls us um, to remember that while we are going through suffering. It is a countercultural message. It is a message of hope uh, that this suffering will not cripple us because we know that God has turned his face towards us in his um, son Jesus. Uh, this is what um, that counselor says once more about this hope. He says, my indestructible hope is that you, you, that is God, have turned your face towards me and you will never turn it away. Amen. What a joy to remember that God has turned his face towards us and he will never turn it away from us. Now that's something to remember when we are going through difficult, difficult moments. Now I just wanted to end it by quoting the words of uh, a famous song that we used to sing back when I was in high school, um, which is like 10 years ago. Um, and this song uh, was a simple theology a simple township theology. I became a Christian in the township. And township theology was deep theology, but very simple in its approach. And the song said, Bambelela. The song said, Twarelela. The song said, for those who don't speak heavenly tongues, never give up. Do you know the song? Never give up. Never give up. Never give up, never give up. You must never, 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 never give up. In times of trouble, in, I don't know the rest of the song. Twara, 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 twara. 
The only way for you to hold on and stand in times of trouble is by remembering that God chose to stand with you and stand for you. So let us step into this week remembering the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, remembering that he stood with us um, in our sin and he will continue to stand with us uh, through eternity. Amen.